We're going to be picking up 1 Samuel 20 uh, this morning as we carry on in our series out of 1 Samuel, and particularly the exploits that we see that involve David, from which uh, Jesus Christ came as the true son of David. We'll be taking a look at 1 Samuel 20, where Jonathan is warning David, the sermon being entitled, Bonded in the Lord, this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 20. Let's take up the reading there. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me, and why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day of the evening. If your father misses me at all, then say David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. And if he says, Good, it will be well with your servant. But if he's angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there's guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that I was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed towards David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you, and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you'll be missed, because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself, when the matter was in hand, and remain beside the stone heap. And I'll shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I'll send a young man say, <clears throat> saying, Go find the arrows. If I say to the young man, Look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them. Then you're to come, for as the Lord lives, it's safe for you, and there's no danger. If I say to the youth, Look, the arrows are beyond you, then go. For the Lord has sent you away, and as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field, and when a new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by, his, by Saul's side. 
but David's place was empty. And yet Saul didn't say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He's not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty, and Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to, to the meal, either yesterday or today? And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked, Leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul's father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. And as the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone up, David rose from beside the stone heap fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. We thank the Lord for this portion of his word this morning. May it be a blessing to us having read it and as we have it ministered today. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever tied a, a rope around your waist, boys and girls, and tried to pull something with it, or you did it to a friend? Sometimes you might try to do that, not at this time of the year, but maybe while you're sledding, you take your sled and you may not tie the rope, but, uh, but you have the rope around you and wherever you go, the sled goes as well. Well, here in our passage, David and Jonathan are tied together as friends. And it was like the Lord was the rope that bonded them together. The Lord tied them together. And even when they were apart physically, it didn't matter. God's presence in both of their lives kept them close. It kept them as friends. There's the reasons why they, they kept their promises of friendship. Now, our friendship in Jesus can make a huge difference in our life and in the lives of others. It makes an eternal difference. It makes an everlasting difference. It makes a very present difference in our lives. And we're going to be seeing how that happened in the lives of Jonathan, Saul, and David this morning as we talk about this bond in the Lord that was there and uh, see it 
see its relevance, relevance, I hope, in our lives as well. We're first going to look at how being bonded in the Lord like Jonathan and David were made a difference in the life of Jonathan and his friendship with David. It made other impacts as well, but it certainly made it with his friendship with David. We hear that. I thought about trying to take a couple pieces out of this and, uh, and, and try to shorten the reading, but I decided, you know, it's hard to do that, so I'm just going to read the whole thing because it's a, it all kind of holds together that way, and so we read the whole thing. But as you see, Jonathan's having a hard time believing that his father, Saul, would go back on his word and, and stalk David and, and conceal that stalking from Jonathan. How could Saul have anything against this one who is the Lord's anointed? And as Jonathan mentions, and as David has mentioned, what is it that he's done amiss? What justifies this? What justified it the first time when he was actually in the service of Saul? I mean, it wasn't even just that he was against Saul. He wasn't against Saul. He was helping Saul out. And so this, this one had done nothing worthy of death in that regard. But for the sake of his friendship in the Lord with David, Jonathan, he says here, I will do whatever you want me to do. He's willing to do anything for David in order to confirm David's contentions and his accusations about his father, Saul, and to help his friend. You might even say that Jonathan was willing to do anything for this one who would be the Lord's choicest king. That's how devoted he was, because our text says that he loved him as he loved himself. He was that devoted to David. Now, people can be devoted to their friends, we realize that, without having anything to do with Jesus, without anything to do with Christ. In fact, this is where we have to be careful that our application doesn't go off the deep end. Right? So what do we learn from this? Well, be a good friend. You know, if the application is simply be loyal to your friend, Oh, well, then what about street gangs, right, where these people are loyal and they make an oath and they, they're very destructive people and they're friends with each other? Does that apply? Or, or, or people with whom you might uh, possibly hang out that don't care two hoots about Christ? And they might tempt you to do the wrong thing? Well, you better be loyal to your friends because if they want you to do the, the wrong thing, if they want you to do things you're going to regret later, don't worry about that. Just be loyal to your friend. You should get different friends in that case, but yeah, that's you can make that application. Be loyal to your friends. What if your friends take precedence over the will of God? It's not hard to do. It's very tempting. What if your friends are really no friends at all? Then you're better off having no friends. And, and that's, of course, very, like for our young people, it can happen throughout life, right? Where nobody likes the feeling of being lonely and the thought of, of no one to whom they can come. Sometimes that's perceived and sometimes it's real. 
that you feel like you don't have anybody who care. But yet, if, if that were to be the case, I mean, if your friends really are no friends, then you're better off having no friends except the friendship of Christ. If that's all you have, you still have a lot. Paul had a moment like that in the New Testament in his life when he said that everybody deserted him when he was in trouble. And he had no friends. But he said the Lord sustained him. The Lord stayed with him. He could always depend on the communion of the Lord. Always. And, and that's a comfort when we have these times where we feel abandoned or we feel lonely or maybe we're widowed. The Lord is with you always until the close of the age, he says to the believer in Christ. We're reminded and assured of that here this morning, sacramentally. Leading, guiding your life until he comes again. So if the application isn't just be loyal, then what is it? Well, the key to the application would seem to be found in what's emphasized quite a bit here in this passage, and that is the fact that David and Jonathan are bonded in the Lord. They have a covenant in the Lord. And in fact, that this was the Lord's true anointed to whom Jonathan was bonded. Jonathan was bonding himself to the one that the Lord had chosen. He had bonded himself to the Lord's way. And at the same time, his devotion was based on the common relationship that they had with the Lord. That's emphasized here in this passage. You see, when it comes to our lives, those are the keys to our devotion. If you're going to be devoted relationally to Christ and to those in Christ, that's what's primary. Christ has done great things for us, and therefore our response is like Jonathan that way, to give ourselves wholly to him. I will do whatever you say. What he says I will do, where he sends I will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. When it comes to our bond with Christ, we remember that we're not only bonded to him, but we're also bonded to others who share that communion with us. And we get reminded and sure of that here today. Don't we? One way or another, we can express that devotion to others in the Lord. And the more that we do that, the better for all God's people, right? But what a blessing to see people willing to do whatever it takes in the Lord to be a blessing to somebody else in the Lord. That brings glory to God's name. It brings blessing to such people that are in need of that. What a blessing when you and I are doing those kind of things. Now the bond that Jonathan has with David also affected his family, not just David, not just his relationship with David. Jonathan 
is asking David a beautiful thing concerning his family. Show me the love of the Lord. David and Jonathan have made a pact of friendship, and that friendship, that love, is to reflect that covenant love that the Lord has for his people. It's sacrificial. It's enduring to all generations. That's how God operates. That's how we are to operate. That deeply. Jonathan was not only concerned about his own relationship with David, who would become king, he was concerned about his offspring. He was concerned about his house. About the relationship that his children would have with the house of David. Not to be associated with David's enemies. He doesn't want to be lumped in with that. Because he's, he knows that the Lord is with David. Don't lump me in with them. Don't cut me off from Israel. Even though at this point, unwittingly, he was condemning Saul, who was one of David's enemies. But the idea of being cut off generationally in the Old Testament, of course, was tied to that idea that the Lord's disfavor and curse was upon that kind of a person. And that's why Hannah and Rachel were so sorrowful and concerned that they had no children when they had no children. Now here, Jonathan, who most likely already has children, is concerned that his name is going to be cut off from Israel. And it's a sign not only of his demise, but that of his children. And you see, Jonathan doesn't want his children or his grandchildren or his great-grandchildren, or subsequent grandchildren, to be associated with the enemies of the house of David. And he's doing everything he can to make sure that that's not going to happen. He wants them to be bonded to the house of David. See, that's how deeply being bonded in the Lord affects him and that relationship which he has with David himself. And, and, and there's relevance here, my friends. There is. Because when we are bonded in the Lord, to the Lord's anointed, to Christ, that's how we're supposed to be, isn't it? That's what we must desire for our own children. That as far as it depends on us, that we do Everything that we can to associate our children with Jesus Christ. Everything that we can. Who rises from the house of David. We want our children to be associated with the house of David in Christ. And of course, that's part of what Christian education seeks to accomplish. That's why the United Reformed Churches promotes God-centered schooling. Because it's of that mentality. To associate our children unequivocally with Jesus Christ. And that's why, as parents, why our example 
in Christ is so important for our children to see that there is no question that our children, when they see us and they hear us and they watch us operate, that there is no doubt in their mind whatsoever that we are associated with Jesus Christ. And that's why reflecting in our marriages the lordship and salvation of Jesus Christ is so important for our children to see. That is supposed to be the spotlight that shines on our marriages day in and day out. That devotion and that honoring of one another as husband and wife. How much so? Well, so much so that the wife is submitting to her husband and the husband is sacrificing for his wife. That's how much honor. That's how much devotion. And that's where the assistance of the church and its instruction is so important as well. It wants to come alongside and, and, and work alongside with, with parents. You know, the government wants to take that role itself, but that's not its job. But certainly the church can come alongside and, and, and be of support that way. And, and it does, through, does that through its own educational uh, programs that it holds. And it supports these endeavors with, our, with prayers and, and words and time. And, and you think about that again in the scriptures about how, how parents are supposed to teach them when, when they rise and, and teach them when they lay down and, and while they walk along the road. You know, equipping our children with answers because we've equipped ourselves with the knowledge of his word and we, and, and we realize it's important that we understand what's going on in the world and we understand what's going on in the word because we got to be there for our kids. And we're praying for our children every day. Not just when it sparks our interest or or for our grandchildren, or our great-grandchildren. Because we want our children to be associated with the house of David. We want to be a godly influence to the young. Even if we don't have kids, even if we're not married. We want to be that way for the children who see us. And they can see that being associated with the house of David in Jesus Christ means everything. And in those ways, we, we follow in faith someone like Jonathan who didn't want his children to be associated with the, the enemies of the house of David. He wanted them to be associated with the name of Jesus Christ in ultimate in ultimate way. Jonathan's bond in the Lord also affected his fellowship with Saul. While, and, and we can just chat a little bit about that now, but we'll talk about that more in a moment. But Jonathan could not understand how Saul could want to kill David. The righteous one. He hadn't done any wrong. He wasn't worthy of death. How could somebody hate somebody like that? 
And it reminds us of, of Jesus to come, right? Who had never done anything worthy of death. And yet he died. And one can wonder today, how, how can it be that anyone could show hatred to him? Or apathy? Or lukewarmness to somebody who came to die for his people and continues to advocate for his people constantly. Sin is so deceiving. And how we need to appreciate the fact again that the Lord Jesus is constantly pleading our cause. He didn't just die for us, but he pleads our cause when we're in him. He's always there for us. This reminds us of that. Such appreciation minimizes our, our restlessness and our discontent. The Lord deserves the contrite heart of believers to seek forgiveness, to rededicate their lives to living holy lives. Because what wrong has he done to us? How he continues to love us so even as he did in dying for us. Well, how does this bond affect Saul? Saul can't understand why Jonathan is defending the very person who's going to take the throne away from him. But he can't appreciate the bond that David and Jonathan have in the Lord. All he can do is, is dishonor his family. That's all he does here. Because when, you, when you're not in the Lord, when you don't care about the Lord... Your family suffers. And you remain in spiritual ignorance and deception. He hurls vulgarities at Jonathan and his mom. Because when we don't understand God's ways and his plans for his salvation and the communion that he establishes with his people and his will for our lives, the family suffers. Saul couldn't understand that life would come from this uh, this son of what he considers of death that he calls David, he doesn't understand that his line would only be able to continue and know the favor of the Lord through the kingdom that the Lord would establish through David's line. He couldn't understand that it was, it was not Saul's son that would establish a kingdom that would be forever. It would be David's son. To Saul, it was utter foolishness for Jonathan to put his trust in the kingdom of God. What in the world are you doing? It would mean you're lost, Jonathan. What's wrong with you? I mean, isn't it foolishness that the first will be last and the last first, and that those who lose their life will gain it? To put trust in a cross, to think that but when we're weak, that we can be strong, and that when we're poor, we can still be richer than the rich, and to believe that the simple can shame the wise, and that the meek shall inherit the earth, to submit to the Lord in all things when the world says, get what you can while you can. Jonathan knew it was not foolishness, though. Through the bond that he had in the Lord with David. So well, in fact, that he was identified with David here, wasn't he? Because Saul throws his spear at Jonathan just like, he th like Saul threw it at David three times. He's identified as Jonathan with the house of David. To be identified with Christ. That, to say that you are not your own, but you belong to Christ. 
to say, I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. That's foolishness to the world, too busy pursuing kingdoms that aren't going to last. Becoming sons of death instead of sons of God through the son of David whose kingdom never failed. Do you want to be identified with Christ and be reflections of him? If you are, you're going to be a fool to the world. But you'll be wise to the Lord. The bond also affects David here. It affects Saul, it affects Jonathan, it affects David. David's bond is with Jonathan, not Saul. David does not feel at home at the king's table. And his absence, though out of pretense, distinguishes him from Saul. Later on, Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, is going to find an audience and a place at the table of David. And that's a picture of the privilege that we have of being in fellowship with Christ. We're allowed to eat at the king's table. We may know his communion. We may know his friendship. But David will not commune at the table of the wicked, which is what Saul has become. And not only is that the case for him, but notice Jonathan as well. When he found out how sinister Saul's intentions were, Jonathan refused to eat at the king's table, at Saul's table. It should have been a celebrating of a new month that the Lord was providing, but neither Jonathan nor David could find communion at the table of evil. In fact, it was better, as Proverbs says, to have little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Proverbs 17.1. How true that is for us. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We don't go hiding into a monastery, but we should feel uncomfortable at the table of evil. We should feel uncomfortable with the practice of evil. That's because when we're bonded in the Lord, We've become different. We're aliens and strangers. Paul says that we cannot not enjoy the table of the Lord and the table of demons. We cannot have our cake and eat it too. And if we are trying to have our cake and eat it too, shame on us. Shame on us. Our calling is to live good lives. Not just Sunday, not to get pretty here and come here and then throughout the week just live like we want. Whether it's the submission that Peter speaks about, whether it's prayer with our Lord, whether it's our work ethic, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, let's feel at home in the house of God. Let's feel at home at the Lord's table and not the table that the world wants to spread out for us, even if it's going to cost us. So through this bond, David's comfort is declared despite the loss. Jonathan says that if David is to flee because of what transpired, it'll be clear that the clarity of the Lord's will has been made known. And in knowing the Lord's will, David might know the peace Jonathan declares for David's future. It had to be difficult for the Lord's anointed to have to flee the promised land, the very land he was called to, to rule. He also had to leave his beloved friend. His privilege in the court was now over. But at least he could know that this was the Lord's will. The very Lord that had promised to place him on the throne one day. At least he could know that though he must leave his friend, the Lord wouldn't leave him. 
You and I know that God's ways are not always easy to understand. When Christ came into the world, he didn't come in triumph or great glory, but by humble means. And then he had to flee Egypt. Or flee to Egypt. But even this had, it, had its purpose because it fulfilled the promises and the prophecies of God and his word. God's ways are above our ways, but God's ways are always good. And God's ways are not always easy for us as we face the future. And the future can seem so uncertain, and the past sometimes painful as you think back on it. And the will of the Lord can be difficult to swallow sometimes, and we might have to part company from those we love. Maybe for years. Maybe for the rest of our lives. Those things happen. They happen all the time. But in times of parting, God doesn't part from us in Christ. We're reminded and sure of that. He gives a piece of his dependability and his leading and guiding, though you may have to leave everything behind. He'll never leave you behind. And, and that's part of the blessing of being bonded with the people in the Lord. If you have to go somewhere else, my wife and I and my daughter went somewhere else, we could find the people of the Lord. It's part of the blessing of being bonded with people in the Lord. It affects friendships, family, fellowship, futures. It's no wonder that we sing, O oh, blessed communion, fellowship divine. We feebly struggle. They in glory shine. Yet all are one in thee, because all are thine. Praise God. That's the blessing of being bonded in the Lord. And we're going to get reminded and assured of that very thing right now. Let's pray a moment. Heavenly Father, as we look ahead to this communion supper, may this time that we spent looking at this portion of God's word remind us that you never fail us. May it be a reminder to us as well to the devotion to which you've called us in Christ to find that Supping at the king's table is a whole lot better than supping at the table of demons. May we desire, Lord, for our children that they may see in everything we're doing our association with Christ because we don't want them to be associated with evil. And we want them to see the joys of belonging to Christ. Thank you for the reminder and assurance that you are with us as we partake of this communion supper this day. We ask this, that you would hear us, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.